Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. It's all over for McLaren and Honda in F1. We explain what went wrong for this marriage seemingly made in heaven. Welcome to another Autosport podcast. I'd like to take everybody back in my time machine to May the 16th, 2013. Honda announces in Tokyo that it's returning to Formula One as engine partner to McLaren. That's the renewal of this great alliance. Five years, four drivers and constructors championships, 44 victories. Success was guaranteed, we all thought. But as we know now, the McLaren Honda adventure is now over. They've announced their separation. My name is Ed Straw, the editor-in-chief of Autosport, and joining me to look back at this this doomed renewal of a relationship, I've got two people who have been following the, the McLaren Honda Farago right from the, from the very beginning. Joining me first is Stuart Codling, the executive editor of F1 Racing. Obviously, you've seen plenty of Honda engine failures and Fernando Alonso complaints over the past few years. Does this surprise you that this has happened? Well, the, the annulment has been long in coming, and watching it take shape 
I imagine it must have been uh, similar to uh, one of uh, Henry VIII's many divorces and wedding annulments that went on, that you, everyone surrounding the party saw it coming. It's just a question of when. Did Honda expect to get beheaded? <laughs> I think they were, ho- they were rather hoping that they didn't go the way of Anne Boleyn. And also joining me to look at what might be termed the disestablishment of the, the McLaren-Honda thing, just to take the, the Tudor theme a little bit further, is Grand Prix editor Ben Anderson. Now, obviously, you've spent several years digging into this i think you were there at the abu dhabi test weren't you in in november 2014 when stoffel van dorn managed a grand total of five laps on the first first run for for that engine and it's it's not really got better since has it the team always put a brave face on that thinking well it's a bonus test they had a, a a hybrid test mule car just to get the engine out on track but i mean it was a, a poor tent of things to come wasn't it basically a disastrous first test and there's been some signs of life along the way, but ultimately not enough to to um, sustain the partnership and certainly nowhere near the level that everybody expected when they signed that agreement in 2013. So this is the key question. Why has McLaren Honda not worked? We've seen a best finish of fifth place. There have been three fifth places in the last two and a half years, and I don't think there's much sign of them bettering that in the, the remaining few races this season. Why has it gone so badly wrong? They just started infighting very quickly, and it was it was actually disappointing to see how rapidly McLaren fell to slagging Honda off or, or basically briefing against them. Uh, and I don't know whether that was boredom on the part of uh, the McLaren media machine or simply blame shifting. But when you consider that the previous season they hadn't even been the best of the mercedes engined cars for them to not even the best customer yeah not Williams even the best customer yeah they weren't even the best customer they were only just a little bit they only did slightly better than force india in 2014 so all those things considered for them to come right out of the box and really start briefing against Honda instead of properly working with them to identify and rigorously chase down the causes of the underperformance. I, I think that that was the, the slippery slope. That, that that was the first slip down that slope and the, then the momentum carried on. But this would never have happened if the Honda package was good, would it? No. No, correct. I think there's been a misunderstanding and misalignment of expectations on both sides. I think McLaren had logical reasons for pursuing a works partnership with Honda. They used to be the works Mercedes team. Obviously, Mercedes set up their own team in Formula One and McLaren fell down the pecking order, if you like. And they certainly felt in 2014 that they weren't getting the same engines as Mercedes, maybe not even the same engines as the other Mercedes customers. They had a different fuel partner, which has proved very important in these hybrid uh, regulations. So they, they've gone off on their own with Honda. I think McLaren felt, well, you know, Honda have got the, the might, they've got the budget, they've got the will, it worked before. Maybe they just convinced themselves that it was going to be fine. Honda paid the price for joining the, the party far too late and also a formula that included other manufacturers that not only had a head start but were constantly developing their way ahead. So Honda knew they needed to outdevelop their rivals and I think, Honda felt that it was going to be much easier or more straightforward to make the progress than it was. So they end up under their own pressure because they've misjudged the difficulty of the formula. McLaren has misjudged Honda's capability to get on top of the formula and also perhaps placed unrealistic expectations on Honda. And that's created a situation whereby both parties aren't really seeing eye to eye. 
and slowly but surely the whole thing just pulls apart as each side realizes that they're not able to give the other what they need the other thing we have to bear in mind is that honda have a very experimental engineering culture that came direct from the founder there's that famous quote about not being afraid to fail and that you learn more from failure than you do from looking into the right solution uh, first off so honda have learned a lot from this then well i suppose they have but they've they've learned really how much they had to take on and the the story of this uh engine package has been one of firstly underestimating how difficult it was going to be we're talking about a company that's not afraid to fail i don't think even they thought that it would be this much of an ongoing failure and it seems to be that every time they identify one thing and solve it they open a box full of i won't say pandora's box because that would be a cliche but it, it just seems to take them down the wrong path and they end up with a whole load of other problems that they then have to solve. So, for instance, at the beginning of this year, they've still got bearing trouble with um, the MGUH, which is something that Mercedes solved four years ago. Yeah, the, the problem for, for Honda is you solve one problem and you, you chase another one around the, the hybrid loop. In previous seasons, Honda were trying to find more power they find more power, but that makes their energy recovery systems less efficient. So then they have to go and develop the energy recovery systems to become more efficient, but that costs you power. And they've been battling this swing, this pendulum constantly. So is that a failure of the leadership of the project? Because that should be where those things are are looked at. You should be look, taking the holistic view of it and understanding those problems before they arise surely yeah, that's th- the andy cowell job isn't it and there's an overarching problem of of culture and this is not necessarily about japanese culture and european culture which was one of the charges leveled at honda in and mclaren in the early phase of the, the partnership it's more to do with how formula one teams operate versus how car manufacturers operate and whether you can align those those two things properly it seems that honda have a much broader view and slower view of what progress looks like so take for example this year's engine they redesigned it to lower the center of gravity and make it lighter in the car those were two fundamental targets that mclaren set for honda or wanted honda to achieve they felt they'd done a great job in in that area but for them that looks like progress because this year's engine is fundamentally to them better than last year's engine because according to their dyno they haven't lost any power but they've made it lighter and and better positioned but for mclaren they want to achieve results now now is almost not soon enough honda's quite happy to take a longer view and go well we're learning from this project if it takes us five years eight years to get the best engine okay they want to get a better engine quicker but it's not not the same pressure there the whole honda company doesn't depend on the formula one engine being the best now mclaren's prospects and results and financial stability depend on having the best engine as soon as possible and i don't think they were able ever to reconcile those fundamental corporate differences uh, it's a very important point ben makes there because uh, I've, I've had a bit of an insight into that having worked alongside various Japanese manufacturers in the car industry over the years and in in the Japanese co- corporate culture at the top there is a fondness for graphs and infographics and if you can create a graph that charts upward progress that that is seen as a good thing especially if that chart of upward progress is seen and expected to carry on uh, proceeding in that direction the the problem you get is when that doesn't actually match the actuality 
on the ground, which is in Formula One terms, uh, an engine project that still appears to be going nowhere. It might be better than it was, but it's still not good enough. One other thing that I should throw in based on my previous experience is that uh, not invented here syndrome magnifies exponentially with each international time zone you cross. So I, I would say that there is probably a disconnect between Woking and uh, and the Japanese ends and the Sakura, which is quite tricky to bridge because it, it, it's an eight hour time difference. So uh, in, in order to communicate properly, some people somewhere have to work at weird ends of the day. Otherwise, what you end up with is um, you come in in the morning and you pick up a load of communications from people, a day full of communications from people who are at that very moment heading out the door to get on the train home. So every day you're you're falling behind because you're you might have a quarrel with the methodology or you might find something you you might have a differing view and if that happens that person's then gone to bed, gone to sleep, had a full working day. And even the, even small things can be very, very difficult to push along. And that feeds into a fundamental problem for the project, and that is the physical separation between Honda and its base of operations in Sakura and Formula One, and where the Formula One industry specifically is generally based, which is in the UK and Europe. Honda seem to very much or seem to very much want to do this project their own way this is a honda thing we're going to learn how to do the engine because our engineers will learn more if they make their own mistakes and find their own solutions and they weren't prepared to or it seemed they weren't necessarily enough prepared to open themselves up to formula one expertise and bend to the way formula one works and what's needed to be specifically successful in that environment and that was McLaren's main issue with Honda is that they were waiting for Honda to solve their own problems all the time when there were other solutions available already learned already available if they just were able to look outside the Sakura box equally the physical separation of Honda from Formula One made it very hard for Honda to recruit people who already had F1 expertise because that means changing your life completely upping sticks and going to Japan which is not for everybody so um, they could have maybe shortcutted their progress in f1 had they been based somewhere else and all of these things kind of feed into into the situation and make it make it very difficult for honda to progress at the rate that mclaren would have been happy with so does this reflect a fundamental problem with honda in terms of what it was doing in formula one i remember interviewing yasuhisa arai who was the original head of the f1 project at goodwood before they came in one of the things he stressed was wanting to put honda engineers into the f1 program putting them in in and out at the secure r&d base so it was contributing to the Honda company and feeding into this fact that you're saying that they saw kind of some progress as enough progress. It seems the whole focus was on doing that, doing what was right for Honda almost internally, rather than doing what the actual priority of coming into motorsport is, which fundamentally should be winning races. And if they were fundamentally focused on winning races rather than servicing some internal corporate needs and technological needs and developmental needs for their staff surely they'd have gone to Andy Cowell or whoever with six bucketfuls of yen here have this mansion secure come and tell us how to do this so is that where there was also a a conflict and the McLaren's there to win Honda saw this as a slightly different kind of exercise and actually winning isn't quite as important maybe as it should be 
I think they did want to win, so they were aligned in the ultimate aim, but Honda wanted to win their own way, and whether that would take... By finishing 10th. Well, <laughs> they thought maybe not they'd in get there way. in the end, didn't they? Exactly, yeah, they thought they'd get there in the end, and they were happy to take the pain for as long as they needed to take the pain, as long as they could get there. A deal was arranged for Honda this year to have consultation with Mercedes and work out some ways to shortcut their progress, because this year's engine didn't perform the way... They expected there were problems with Honda's dyno compared to the on-track results. I think they underestimated the loads of the new cars and how that would impact things. So in a bid to save the partnership, there was an arrangement brokered whereby Mercedes would consult and offer some offer Honda some guidance as to you know where to improve. And Honda rejected that arrangement because Honda didn't want to reveal its IP to Mercedes, a rival, and thereby playing into this whole idea that Honda, you know, is reluctant to embrace outside influences. I mean, you could understand in this particular case that Mercedes is a direct rival and is, by this arrangement, potentially going to see some sensitive details of Honda IP. But I think it's symptomatic of this idea that Honda Honda very much saw this as a Honda-only project. It took them a long time to, to embrace any kind of outside influence. They started working with Ilmore, we understand, as an independent consultant so they weren't completely against the idea but they were very very cautious very very careful about taking the steps that they needed to take very quickly in order to make this this thing a success yeah with with mercedes they were grudgingly prepared to accept the quid but the pro quo was a little bit more than they could uh, swallow as it were so could you argue that if honda was so confident of succeeding down the line should mclaren have been more patient alternatively should mclaren have understood that First, because obviously when you're dealing with companies in different countries from very different cultures, it's important to understand each other's objectives from the start. So did McLaren play a part in that? Or was Honda naive? Because, for example, you can look at the progress that was made in the back end of last year and everyone was coming into this season thinking, actually, McLaren-Honda could very easily be a solid fourth in the Constructors' Championship and then build on from there. They seem to have found a trajectory that, that would have done it, but... Did Honda just not know how to build on that? Was it not the right direction in the first place? Where were the things where this broke down at a more granular level in the relationship between the two teams? It's a mixture of all the above, really, isn't it? I have a sort of a pet theory that Ron Dennis must shoulder quite a lot of the blame for this. In particular, the hubris of his final few years when he ousted Martin Whitmarsh and came back in and by all accounts, made a lot of assurances to the shareholders and partners that he would be able to turn around what was a woeful performance, uh, or certainly a trough in performance the team was going through. He, he believed he could turn that around, and he saw Honda as a means of doing that. He was being very much Ron Dennis, the entrepreneur there, the successful entrepreneur, the guy who takes the risk and then reaps the rewards when that risk comes off. And in this case, the risk didn't come off because... All the parties involved underestimated the difficulty of engineering a hybrid power unit and coming in a year after everyone else, doing it their own way. And even if it was possible to achieve competitiveness, then you know the the ongoing development that that would go on. I think they it was all underestimated. So there was, as Ed says, naivety, but but also the, the, there was hubris certainly at the McLaren end. I think it was. Ron Dennis rolling the dice, it didn't come up, double, up a double six, and it cost him his job pretty much. I think you could, if you break it down year by year, 2015, the first proper year of the partnership, 
you allow Honda a certain amount of leeway. You know, they're new into it. They're behind in terms of when they started the project compared to the other manufacturers. And McLaren prepared, were prepared to be patient and say, okay, you need some time to, to get this formula right. Arguably, they were coming in a year too soon, I think. So um, Honda's having to wash a lot of its dirty laundry in public. But by 2016, you saw a significant improvement through that second season. So Honda kept the same engine concept they'd had to start with, but they built on it. They finally seemed to understand the hybrid loop. They seemed to find more power. They managed to keep the energy recovery systems working quite well. I think by the middle of 2016, uh, Yasuki Hasegawa, the current leader of the project, said um, that they had an ERS that was as good as they felt was as good as Mercedes. So you kind of started to feel, right, they've, they've cracked it now. That, that first year was difficult, but they've learned. But then McLaren's results improve. McLaren, by this stage, has had a long-running saga of lack of success in the Constructors' Championship. That's creating financial pressures on the team and sporting pressures on the team. They haven't been able to sign the sponsors they want because they're not doing well enough. They think, right, 2017, completely new regulations are coming in aerodynamically. They've been part of the process that drafted those regulations. They've, in the meantime, changed a lot in terms of the way their team operates, the way it develops. They've signed new people. They feel like they're building up to building the best car they've been able to build for a while. And I think it's fair to say this year's car, while not perfect, is much better than probably any McLaren since 2012. And they're thinking, right, Honda's showing all the signs of being on the right path. But Honda's thinking, well, our initial concept is running out of development potential. So we need to do what Renault have done for this year as well, which is start again and build a new engine from scratch that has more development potential but in doing that they've ended up resetting their own situation back to kind of 2015 levels and that's not aligned with where McLaren is in terms of its own development path just focusing on the team which is building up to 2017 the last year of Fernando Alonso's contract this was meant to be in the original plan his title challenging year and I think that's where fundamentally things have split apart McLaren's been on this path to get where they are now from the chassis side and the driver side and Honda were on the just about the correct path maybe slightly behind where everyone wanted them to be but then when it's come to the winter and into this year their engine has fundamentally not carried on and built on the progress of 26 2016 they've gone backwards and that's something that McLaren given all the problems they've had previously and the lack of results they just can't tolerate anymore there the lack of performance on track and the lack of results is killing that team in more ways than one because Firstly, they've got uh, a world champion driver, a double world champion driver who's impatient for success and playing hard to get in terms of whether he wants to continue. But also time's really running out for their finances because that car doesn't have many sponsors. They've been, I'd, I'd say, financially challenged since uh, around about 2014. If you, if you go to company's house and look at their returns, you'll see that McLaren Racing has been blowing a hole in the group's finances uh, ever since they fell out of the upper echelons of the Constructors' Championship. They're earning so much less money in, in terms of the, the prize fund, and their sponsors have deserted them. Uh, Ron Dennis was playing hardball on the rate card, and we saw where that went with Johnny Walker a couple of years ago. So he's he's lost the opportunity to have a title sponsor. And you have a, a, a car that, to all intents and purposes, looks very much like the Manor did, with the very, very sparse, you know, a pleasant enough colourway, if you like that combination of colours, but very sparse in terms of the logos on it, and they're not bringing in the money. And it shows how desperate 
the situation has become that McLaren is now split apart from Honda, given that a big part of the Honda deal was how much money Honda would bring to plug that commercial gap you just mentioned. So the fact they're prepared to forgo that money, obviously we expect there'll be some kind of severance pay as part of the contract being ended, but to give up the, the many millions of dollars that Honda was putting into McLaren as part of this deal to go their own way again just shows that they really couldn't wait any longer for performance on the track. It's interesting talking about the fact that McLaren didn't necessarily adapt to how things had changed in the sponsorship arena, the fact that Honda didn't really understand how things had changed in terms of the the hybrid technology. Now, McLaren played a part in the fact there hasn't been a a Honda customer deal. When they first announced it, it was always going to be 2015 McLaren only, and then there was the chance to bolt on customer teams. In retrospect, was it a big mistake to not have a customer team running from the start because McLaren could have facilitated that happening if it needed to and when McLaren looking at it from the perspective of 20 years ago oh we don't want them distracted by supplying customer engines we want to focus on us whereas actually they should have looked at it as twice the cars is twice the data twice the experiments you can run twice the things you can try. I think Ron Dennis probably looked at it from the former perspective i.e I don't want anyone else to have a piece of my pie but I think if you look at it from a practical point of view even the, the the more mature manufacturers in this formula struggle to provide their customers with reliable engines, Mercedes accepted. I think Honda have struggled to produce two engines that can last consecutive race weekends or get through a proper cycle of mileage. So to stretch their resources into supplying an extra team, if it's just four engines breaking down all the time, instead of two engines maybe lasting a bit longer and then breaking down. Is that a net benefit? I'm not sure. But doesn't that depend on the the reason for the unreliability? If it's manufacturing not being at the right quality, then yes, that point holds. But if it's fundamental design, then you're not actually putting much more stress on things by supplying another team. Okay, you still need to produce the materials, etc. But they set up Milton Keynes with a view to the fact they might supply other teams anyway. So has build quality been an issue or is it is it fundamentally design quality? Well, that is a very interesting point. And it's something that's been raised in the past by people who've worked when Honda owned a team in the past. There were doubts over the build quality of the engines. They were viewed as being a bit inconsistent. One thing you could say is if they were supplying more than one team, then build quality issues would be isolated that much more quickly. I think it's a case that both are true. So it's clear the Honda design of engine has been a problem because they keep finding themselves in a situation where they can't find enough power and they can't engineer in enough reliability but going back to the situation of Mercedes and whether they could have consulted with them I understand part of that proposed arrangement was that Mercedes would push Honda in the right direction in terms of suppliers and finding a quality of components that would increase their reliability so I think in this case it's the design is poor but also the build quality is poor as well McLaren were making noises as early as 2015 about Honda being set on certain supply chains that they wanted to use that didn't they were different to the the usual supply chains you would use in Formula One and not to their benefit the quality was was lower McLaren were trying to steer them towards using suppliers that were more robust and Honda weren't so keen on doing that so I think they were fundamental problems on both sides. Looking purely at the power unit side could Honda have made a success of this program down the line had they changed their approach completely been more open to that outside assistance had just realized that they needed to work 100 percent to deliver performance on the track not in the boardroom on grass or on the dyno but 
actually real world performance engines. Well, Honda Honda had changed, but I think the problem is they didn't change quickly enough, and McLaren just ran out of patience. McLaren were putting their own people into the Honda team, people they hired from other manufacturers to try and steer Honda on the on the path of well, these guys have been there and done it, so perhaps you want to listen to them. And as I understand it, those guys would come up against resistance, even though they were embedded within Sakura, because the Japanese wanted to do it their own way, and fundamentally they they came up against this same old same old problem. Honda obviously appointed a new chief of the project in 2016. Yasuki Hasegawa had experience from the previous F1 Honda project, although not in the the same function. And that seemed to appease McLaren for a while because they felt, well, this guy knows how F1 works, so he'll be able to inform the rest of the company of our needs and how Honda needs to perhaps steer itself more into the F1 way of thinking rather than the Honda way of thinking. But ultimately, just I, I think maybe it was changing, but maybe not changing fast enough for McLaren's purposes. Honda started working with Ilmore this year. McLaren probably would have said, well, why didn't you start doing that earlier? It's just I think it's fundamentally a question of pace and one team wanting to go at this lightning pace and the other organisation wanting to go at their own pace and just not being able to meet in the middle any longer. Now, of course, Honda is going to continue with Toro Rosso. So are we going to see any signs of change? I think there's potential in the Toro Rosso-Honda arrangement more widely for Red Bull. If you consider the similarities we mentioned earlier of Red Bull-Renault's relationship breaking down a couple of years ago in the way the McLaren-Honda relationship has broken down this year. Red Bull probably looks at the situation and thinks, well, Renault are never going to get their act together while they're supplying three teams, including us. If we take Honda on board, it's only going to be our thing. It's going to be two teams at most. So that's that's better in theory in terms of reliability. Uh, they can start to build a relationship from scratch. They can allow Torosso to have the growing pains for a year while they monitor it. Red Bull has a track record of helping Renault with some of its problems in terms of capacity and and designing certain components. So they've got a head start, if you like, in terms of um, dealing with a manufacturer that's in trouble with its engine program. And they probably just think, well, Honda with potential has more potential for us than a Renault relationship that's fundamentally broken and has been ever since Red Bull tried to exit in 15 and, and take Mercedes customer engines. It's also been very toxic for Honda's other racing programs because it's drawn in resources. I was told by someone close to their uh, tin top uh, racing programs that an awful lot of resource was taken from world touring cars, particularly because they're in such a panic to shore up the F1 operation. And it, it really has become a huge resource hog. So to some extent, you, you can understand why it became something that it either had to be a success or it had to be put a stop to. What do we think Honda is aiming to get out of Toro Rosso? One interpretation of what Honda's doing is it's good for them for training engineers. They're enjoying it in Sakura, so they like doing it. So is it kind of, well, you're a slightly smaller team, we can kind of do what we want, you'll be happy to have a works engine? Or are they looking at thinking seriously, well, we can turn Toro Rosso into a front runner? Or are they, are they thinking this means we're in the Red Bull family? So if you're Red Bull, you're looking at thinking, well, we've got a Renault deal, we've got a Honda deal, so the third and fourth current best engines, we've got a foot in both camps, so whichever one longer term works better could end up in the back of a of a Red Bull. It all seems it seems like a bit of a holding pattern for for everyone. And while Honda could have turned their back on F one rather than going with 
a smaller team, it also doesn't seem like a grandiose statement of intent. Well, I think there's an intention to turn Torosso into more of an independent team. Anyway, I think Dietrich Mateschitz wishes to put less money into that outfit and has done over recent years. It's been for sale forever, really, but it's almost impossible to sell a team like that where you've always got the the condition that it has to stay in Faenza for a, for a length of time. A Honda deal whereby Honda would bring some financial might along with them, that makes sense for a team that, you know, struggling a little bit financially and could do with that that boost. Uh, I, I, I see the arrangement as basically being the Sauber deal that didn't come off and Honda would probably feel like, well, we can, you know, maybe feed a driver or two into that arrangement as well. And from Red Bull's point of view, they can wash their hands a little bit more of Torosso and let it stand alone and not worry about it, but have a nice close monitoring of it and see, well, if this works out and actually the Honda engine looks decent and not as bad as McLaren have made out, then a year down the line or whenever the opportunity arises, switch. Because Red Bull then would get the potential to have its own works partner, which it's been lacking since... Uh, relationship with Renault broke down. Neatly gives Christian Horner the opportunity to place one iron in the fire, as it were, that he can either leave there or or draw on as he wishes. So it's quite clever and far-sighted on that front. Uh, As to what Honda want to get out of it, I think they want to ameliorate uh, the loss, really, don't they, and uh, show that they really can do it. Yeah, I think you know it would be a real shame for them having been attracted back by the regulations and put so much resource into it to pull out now when they've achieved nothing as you say one a best of fifth place in three years so if it requires them moving to another team to achieve their own aims then you know more's the power to them it would end the present hybrid era on a sour note really wouldn't it because in many ways this this current generation of power unit is very laudable it was designed with the best of intentions it, it was uh, the concept was to show uh, it was a it was a philosoph- philosophical as well as an engineering concept, wasn't it? To show technological leadership, and I suppose in the in the final analysis, the judgment of history will be that it was just kind of too clever and too demanding, too difficult almost. It was too high a mountain for some people to climb. And in fact, it's the ultimate condemnation of these engine regs because the whole point of them was to a keep engine manufacturers in, which it did succeed in doing, and b attract more in which it succeeded into a limited extent by getting Honda in but if Honda couldn't do it then it just says the these regs have just been a disaster how, especially how, with how Formula many people, E how many people looked at this and thought looked at what Honda did and thought you know glad we're not doing that although it should be noted that Honda hasn't had a very successful engine program in Formula One for a while they were struggling quite badly in the in the V8 era, I remember. So. Well, Honda's whole history in Formula 1, in fact, is, is checkered, isn't it? We always think of the might of the success with Williams and, and with McLaren in the 80s and the early 90s. But the it's 60s project got. was ultimately a failure. Had the success with the second coming, should we say, which was originally with this little spirit team. And then they that, moved that to That engine to was terrible, though, wasn't it? Initially, yeah. yeah. And obviously, they had huge success in the in the turbo era and then the early years after the switch back to normally aspirated, but not against massive opposition, and Renault soon demolished them. And then the comeback as the works team was a was a disaster. They had the one win, but look at 2007 and 2008. The timing of the exit was even disastrous with, with the continuation team, Braun, winning it. So Honda's been a little bit ill-starred, and the fundamental question we try to answer here is why is the McLaren-Honda alliance 
not worked. And we come together and put so many different reasons on the table. Nothing simple, but it's almost better if there's just one fatal flaw in the plan. But we've talked about it. McLaren's expectations and Honda's expectations weren't aligned. Honda didn't seem to understand F1 properly. McLaren didn't seem to understand what Honda was doing properly. They came in too late. They underestimated the the technology. Started briefing. Well, McLaren started briefing against Honda. Just a comedy of errors, really. That just says this whole thing was was doomed on on so many levels. I mean, is that fair? Well, is this as big a disaster as it looks like? Because normally, when you look at the results. You say, well, that's terrible. And you can say, well, actually, we can caveat it with this, that, and the other. There don't seem to be very many caveats for McLaren and Honda for why this has gone wrong. It just seems like an almighty disaster. Yeah, it was a disaster. It remains a disaster. McLaren, let's not forget, they had the best engine in Formula 1. In 2014, they were aligned with Mercedes. Mercedes had the outstanding power unit throughout the V6 hybrid era. Okay, the deal with Honda was already done. But I remember... Uh, Eric Boulier saying to me in Singapore in 2014, justifying the, the switch, you know, we cannot win the world championship without a works engine. They fundamentally believed that they were always going to be a second class citizen while Mercedes had its own team. But in retrospect, three years down the line, that looks like a almost fatal mistake. They'd have been better off treading water as a Mercedes customer team, even if they didn't have the best fuel or the same power, building up their race team as they have done revamping their technical structure and technical personnel and designing better cars because let's not forget three years ago they had their own problems with car design they hadn't built a good one for a while and just waiting almost for the new engine foreman to come in because okay they wouldn't have won a world championship the drought would have perhaps continued they probably wouldn't have signed Alonso but they'd probably be in better shape overall than they are now I think that's right and also, it, it, it's kind of very easy to zoom a little bit too much into the granular detail when, when looking at a problem like this. And when when earlier on I likened it to Henry VIII and his uh, many wives, uh, I was only half joking because the, the problem there was a fundamental one, which is that um, his wife could not provide him with a male heir. Everything else was just that there, there was a maelstrom of political ambition and personal ambition, little rivalries here and there. But it all kind of boiled down to one issue. And that's what you have with the McLaren-Honda thing. It is that at the end of the day, the ambition was to win races together. And that did not happen. And then everything else is sort of a side issue. That is the the steak on your plate, as it were. The the rest of it is just the side dishes, the the expectations that weren't met, the naivety, the, the 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 problems of methodology, the inability of people on different sides of the globe to work with one another effectively, the way it all fell to infighting and pettiness. That that the, the, these are just other issues that are circulating. That the main fail, which is that they didn't get what they wanted. Yeah, it all comes down to results, doesn't it? Fundamentally, the ambition for McLaren as a team was to win the World Championship. It's a World Championship winning team multiple times. That's why they went with Honda. They were building everything else up. They made an effort to sign Alonso, arguably the best driver on the grid. They made a concerted effort to revamp the way they designed cars to build a championship winning car. We can argue whether the current McLaren is good enough, but it's certainly among among the best on the grid as a chassis, we believe. Certainly Alonso believes that. The one thing that was missing was the engine package and Okay, they would have been fundamentally better off with a Merck customer engine, even if it was second rate, just in terms of their overall results. But you can understand the logic 
originally of trying to go one step better. They wanted to beat Mercedes, not just race with them or race right behind them. McLaren's aim was to win the World Championship, to beat Mercedes. They felt they couldn't do it with Mercedes. The only option on the table was Honda. And the gamble, as ever, is will they be able to deliver or will they not be able to deliver? And ultimately, unfortunately, it would have been great for Formula 1 and everybody had they been able to, but they just haven't. Well, this is just going to go down as one of those great failures, isn't it? And in fact, the contrast with what we see from Mercedes, you know, it's the usual thing. When you're doing well, you look like heroes. I'm sure the Mercedes side, there's there's always going to be weaknesses within the team and the engine spies that don't get talked about because they're not overwhelming weaknesses. But fundamentally, Mercedes at Brackley, Mercedes HPP at Bricksworth work closely together, Petronas doing the fuel and the lubricants. Everything was coherent and together. Joint objectives, collaborating, working properly. Everything that McLaren and Honda wasn't. So you've got the definitive way of doing it and the definitive way not to do it. Yeah, everything was just disjointed, wasn't it? You've got Honda coming in late and then coming into race earlier than they're ready for you've got a McLaren team that at the time it did the deal wasn't ready to win a world championship even with the best engine but had a plan to get to that point Uh, there was almost too many things in the mix they didn't have the right driver they went and signed the right driver but they signed him on a time frame that didn't actually in the end align with when the engine would be ready and when the car would be ready to win so ultimately you've got too many strands of variable not quite ending up under control in alignment and that's what they needed to win. The Mercedes strategy was coherent from the start, building everything up at the same rate so that you arrive in the right place when you need to. But the McLaren-Honda thing was was like a car veering from side to side on the road and never, ever really fully under control. Poor planning on Ron Dennis's part, I think. I, I alluded to hubris earlier, and, and that's really, really what it was. He suffered that problem that, many entrepreneurs and many successful people have which is that when they win it's all because of them it's their genius that has generated that win when they lose it's the failures of the people around them and that's how they i'm sure that's a fundamental part of how they process the their decision making when it comes to weighing up risks they think i'm a winner this is a great idea of mine i'll do it call it cognitive dissonance or whatever when it doesn't work out they, they they push the responsibility onto someone else. So I think Ron genuinely believed that um, he could make it work, but he just didn't interrogate his own um, his own plans properly because he he believed totally in his ability to make it work. Yeah, in many ways, this is the last vestige of the Ron Dennis influence on McLaren, isn't it? They had to redesign the way the team worked around Dennis and finally he's gone and now the team works in a different way that wasn't doesn't really have his imprint on it anymore the driver lineup is was not put together by him it was almost in spite of him that Alonso came back and the Honda engine deal was one brokered by Dennis that ultimately has turned out to be a big failure and has finally now been unpicked and it's almost like this is where McLaren begins again now it's the Dennis era finally over and we wait to see what they can do in the future. Well, that's a big question, and that's going to be a discussion for another day. So thank you very much, Ben Anderson and Stuart Codling, for an excellent dissection of the, uh, well, I was going to say what went right and what went wrong for Honda and McLaren, but there wasn't a great deal of, of right, was there? It's a very lopsided uh, column of uh, merits and demerits in that regard. Exactly. Sometimes things 
just don't work. That's the, the bottom line. So you can read more about this on autosport.com, both in our, our news feed and also in the plus section for subscribers. 94p a week gets you all sorts of in-depth features. Ben Anderson's done an in-depth feature looking at the reasons why this fails. So if you feel like recapping all this in print, you can uh, head there. And there's a few other gems in there that are well worth reading. Also, Autosport magazine out every Thursday. The current issue has got the Italian Grand Prix report in-depth analysis there from Ben and the following week's issue I'm sure will have a lot more on the McLaren Honda situation. So thanks very much for joining us and thanks very much to McLaren Honda for giving us so much to talk about over the past few years. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality, where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.